going to the one before is that he goes at a slower speed because there's a lot of people in that one that aren't technically minded. Um, so none of you are getting behind in it, that's what I'm concerned about, right? No one's getting behind anything. Yeah, the total one. 
nothing on that. Um, oh no, it's 11 o'clock now, isn't it? 11 till 12, I don't know, possibly 1 till 2 then. Did you get your dinner then? Have you got to yeah. yeah. So give me like 15 minutes to get to the butty shop and get back. Then I'll see you in the dinner hour if you need to see me. What I can't do, right, let's try and get this, this sorted out without project supervision. What we can't do is, we can't discuss your project dissertation in detail with you. We can't discuss your mini paper in detail with you. Because it's supposed to be an assignment, it's supposed to be your own work. What we can do is, we can discuss the structure, as in, is there anything obvious that's missing? The content has to be yours because it's a test. You know, it's an assignment, effectively. You should also be given the opportunity to see your second reader regarding your mini paper. If it's called, it's called mini paper still now. Change the name of it. It's still called that, is it? Um, when's it due in? see the, the students who were second reading for only last week, which is normally would see you quite early on. Um, so the first opportunity I've got to see any of you, if you if you got second reading for you, I've emailed you all, is uh, next Wednesday. But, uh, it's, it's optional. Come on, if you want. Again, we won't be discussing anybody's paper in detail. It's going to be a case of discussing roughly what we expect to see in there. Um, and maybe whether, if there's any general questions about direction, we can discuss things like that, but we cannot discuss content. Sorry. Um, I've got oh, yeah. a question about referencing. Yeah, you can ask about referencing and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, um, I want to take a quote from the book yeah. about that quote has been taken from a journal, which is referenced in the book. So that's, yeah, okay. So that's called secondary referencing, isn't it? Which is um, not good. It's um, you can get away with secondary referencing as long as as long as you don't do very much. Generally, what you should do is you should go to the journal that that person is citing and then um, check that the context in which that person has cited that statement is the same context that you want to use it in, in your in your paper. If you can't find a journal, I haven't got time to get hold of it, then um, you'll need to say that you just say it's been secondary, re secondary referenced. That means you're, you're referring to somebody who is referring to somebody else. Okay, so the problem with secondary references is you've got their interpretation of what the other person said, unless it, unless it is an actual pure quote. And then you've got your interpretation of what their interpretation is. So by the time you've written it up, you might be misrepresenting the person that wrote it in the first place. Now, if it literally is a quote, it's in speech marks, and the author of the book says, this is a direct quote, and you're quoting it as a direct quote, then you, you shouldn't have lost anything. But if somebody's explaining what somebody else has said, and then you're explaining what that person's explaining that somebody else has said, then you start to, you start to um, run the risk of... of of misrepresenting the person who wrote it in the first place. Um, any other questions about anything? So it's the uh, content that you, you've chosen a, a, a title for you, or a, um, an area for your paper. Yeah. If you start to find out the content is really convex. Yeah. If some of the content isn't, they just concentrate on them. You know, what I mean is I'm, just, I'm doing a comparison of the book. One of the sides of the comparisons turned out to be uh, involved some major mathematics, like, which I haven't got time to get into, but I do not have a good book. Yeah. Can I just drop one and then do an evaluation instead of a comparison? Or is, uh, can you not say without looking at what I'm about? It's quite difficult to, to comment, but um, you, you don't. What you need to do is not necessarily understand the maths. You need to be able to, as long as what you're reading that's got that maths in, 
reaches a conclusion with, where they talk about advantages, disadvantages, or whatever, then in your comparison, I would have thought you'd be making reference to the advantages and disadvantages yeah. rather than necessarily the, the nitty gritty detail of the algorithms. you ask you about, because you don't, I can, I can, I can quote comparisons, but um, in the view, you're going to say, well, what, what about this one? What do you know about this method of this algorithm? And I was just like, uh, not necessarily. Um, what we're looking for, this is supposed to be more of a literature review this year rather than a, a research paper. So we want to see that you have actually made an effort to find out who is doing work in, in this area and that you've sort of you've come up with these different numbers of people that are doing this, this type of work in the area. One might say one thing, one might say something else. So you're looking at the conclusions from each one of them, there might be two or three different methods. Based on the conclusions and the synthesis of the information from the different papers, your general understanding of what's going on, based on what all these people are saying, leads you to conclude that you are going to use method whatever because it fits your projects. Because they understand it. How? Because one of them, it's just it's, it, one of these methods is uh, like, I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pretty close to that, I just don't understand. Well, if, it's an, if, you, if you think based on what you've read, the method might be the best method, but given the time scale of the project and the time it would take you to understand that method, it's impractical to use it. And that's your justification, that's your critical evaluation of the situation. You're being sensible and saying, there's no point in me trying to go there because it's going to check me. That's not a cop-out, is it? As long as you can... It's not a cop-out as long as you can justify it. I would say so, yeah. Now, that is speaking to you as your second reader. That's how I would interpret it. Um, Roger is very, shall we say, uh, very keen on formal theory. Is that type of law? Um, so his interpretation might be slightly different. But that, as a second reader, that's how I would see it. And, and you would be a software engineer. All right, you're not mathematicians. You're not astrophysicists. You're not computer scientists. Right? We're looking for a project which illustrates your understanding of the full development life cycle of a software project, illustrates it practically in your implementation, and illustrates it theoretically by you looking at the different stages of the process and looking at the, the pros and cons of the methods that you've chosen to use. And there has to be some level of complexity in your project. Okay, it's not, it can't just be a straightforward thing. It's got to be all the full development life cycle of something which is technically challenging. And that's it, really. So we're going to need to see specification, a good quality specification which clearly identifies what it is you're going to do. We need to see <coughs> a design where you've decided what design methodology you're going to use and why. The design itself, the implementation which has to be well written using the normal software development standards that you've been taught over the last two years regarding documentation, maintenance, uh, etc. You need to be tested, you need to discuss and show that you've considered and have developed uh, a meaningful and uh, robust test strategy. And if it's got a user interface, it should consider the HCI or usability aspects of, the, of that user interface. Not in massive depth, but in the depth that you will have been taught in your software development module last year. And if there are users involved, then you would be expected to test it for usability to see that the users can actually use it, it is intuitive. And it doesn't really matter, they can't. As long as you get the feedback and you, in your critical evaluation you say, there are areas of weakness in this interface which have been identified by the user evaluation, they are this, this and this. So, on reflection, which is exactly what a critical evaluation is, it's a reflection of what you've done. Um, 
it would be better to move this button up there or make this this colour or whatever it is. If you find that users are like looking around for something and think, well, they shouldn't be. They should be they should pretty intuitive where things are. And you can't tell if things are intuitive or not because you designed it. And you know exactly where things are. And you think, well, it's obvious. Yeah? But it isn't. It isn't obvious at all. And if you've had somebody test it for usability, you can't use that person again. Because they're dirty. You know what I mean? They've been tainted by your application. <coughs> because next time they use it, they will know where the stuff is. It should be intuitive. So if you wanted to test it again, you would need to test it on different people. And that would all be written up in your critical evaluation. The critical evaluation is a, is a, is a major section of your report. Um, you've got to be very, not very critical, but reflective about what you've done, what you've learned, how you might change it, based on testing. You might find you've got bugs you can't fix. You've got a sound test strategy. Your test strategy is still on bugs that you can't fix in the time given. Will do because you've identified roughly what they are. Um, improve the usability, improve the user interface, or whatever you've discovered since since testing it and trying to use it. That's, that's not right there. Okay, now if you've got the easy option, you just have to have a command line interface, then you know, save yourself some, some heartache. But not, not many things use command line interfaces these days. And you'll have to justify why you use a command line interface. If you just Avoid ACI is not an answer. <laughs> ACI is a key component of this course. Which I'm not going to bother showing you. 
take us too long. It can be shown that if you design the filters in the frequency domain, generally you can then map them back into the spatial domain and process them like this. Do this one first because it's easier than two. Okay. Let's look at this then. Now, this sort of stuff in image and signal processing. It is not as bad as it looks. Um, again, unfortunately, because we've not done the signal processing first, we're going to go through all this, this math stuff first. Um, I'll just sort of tell you bits and pieces as we go along. This thing, which is like a sort of a E thing, the sigma, simply means in programming terms, which is what we want to be doing, is we want to be mapping out maths into programming terms, into like you know practical use. That sigma um, is a for loop. And what it is saying is for n equals y minus one to y plus one. It's a for loop. So if you get a sigma like that with n equals naught and then a hundred there, it means we're going to loop that hundred times. But whilst we're in the loop, we are going to calculate something and continually add it for every iteration. So we're going to build up um, a running total effectively. It's like an average, um, an average is, you know, when you do an average, you add all the numbers together and divide it by the number of numbers, don't you? You know what I mean? But the mean, when you're calculating the mean. So you can write that as 1 over n, because you're going to divide it by the number of numbers, sigma, n, where, n, where the, the n is going to go from 0 to the number of numbers. What I'm going to do is, sigma means, get the first number, add it to the second number, go around, add it to the third number, go around, add it to the fourth number, go around and keep going until you hit the end of the loop, and you've got built up the sum of those numbers then, and that's it. That's that sigma thing. The other one you see is like a double parallel line thing. You've probably seen lots of them as well, have you? Yeah. That is exactly the same as this, apart from it means multiply all the terms instead of adding them. Right. So it looks it looks clever, but it's it's fairly straightforward, not really. So what this is saying is, we've got a loop. We're going to add those values, and then this is an outer loop. So it's rows and columns. And go columns, rows, do the columns again, increment rows, do the columns again. It's a double loop, that's all that is in mathematical terms. What it's saying is, oh, it's just now region one loop. It's going to take that, which is the value of the pixel, add it to increment y, the value of that pixel, increments, add it to the value of that pixel. That's y, that's y, y is here, so y minus 1, not y that way isn't it, y minus 1 is this row, y plus 1 is that row. It's that same, we're doing 3. In this case, minus 1 plus 1, we're doing 3, we're doing y minus 1, we're doing y, we're doing y plus 4, we're doing those three rows. Here, x is the columns, we're doing column x, Going from x minus 1, which is that one, we're going to column x plus 1, we're going to that column. So it's saying, take that value from the y minus 1th column and the x minus 1th row. Okay, so it's a pixel, y minus 1, x minus 1, that one there. Add it to, inc increment this, now this is rows, isn't it? Not going this way around. Add it to that pixel value. Add it to that pixel value. That's that loop done. Increment this. Increment to that row. Starting from y minus 1 again. Add it to that. Add it to that. Add it to that. Drop out of that loop into that one. Back into the columns. So the rows here. Add it to that. Add it to that. Add, it to that. <coughs> add them all up, in other words. And then, divide it all up by 9. That's the average. <coughs>
is actually. Um, it's looking at you thinking, does he think I'm dinner? Well, yeah. It does look like that. Well, it's zoomed in quite a bit now. Because that's the set of my car in Nose's Safari Park. Took a picture of this chicken for some reason. I don't know why. It was a chicken with a long tail, so it, was, it wasn't quite the same chicken you see in, in the supermarket. And the idea of this is that that averaging mask I've just talked about, which is as simple as that, you simply put the mask over the very first pixel. Obviously, you can't be over the very first pixel because the mask is actually over a bit and down a bit, so you've lost a, a, a column, you've lost a, a row, haven't you, when you put the mask on, because we're going to be working one across and one down. So, we're actually going to lose a row. Lose a, lose a column. They're going to do that first pixel, move it along, do the next pixel, move it along, do the next pixel. We're going to average, we're going to create the new pixel value, it isn't going to be its value anymore, it's going to be the average of its value on all the ones around it. And you do that, all along there, all along there, fry equals 1 to 2 million or whatever it is you're going to do, however many pixels there are, it turns that image into that image. You might think, well, that's not that impressive, but you should be able to see this grass is different, it's smoother, it's, or, or, or blurred, if you want to call it, look at that from that point of view. That image is a slightly more blurred version of that one. For example, on here, there are artifacts on its side of its head. But they've gone, they're not there on that one. Well, certainly not as noticeable, they've been smoothed out. Its feathers are quite noticeably blocky there. Look at these, for example, they're quite jagged. They're smoother, a bit smoother there. It's had the effect of smoothing it out. Think about it as being like um, a road, you know, a really undulating road like that. If you say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the height of the road at every point, the average of the points and the points either side of it, you're going to bring the bumps down a bit and you're going to bring the drops up a bit. And it's going to smooth the whole thing out. is that particular mask. A convolution mask is, is um, that is a convolution mask and with those numbers in it is an averaging, has an averaging effect. When we put different numbers in, in that convolution mask it'll do different things. Convolution is a, is a signal processing term which um, I'll probably get onto when we get onto the signal processing it's easier to explain when we get to that. But it's, it's actually, well, I'm not a one even over really. It's a bit of a tricky thing to explain. Okay, we need to talk about frequency. What do I mean by frequency? I know, you, I know that you're familiar with frequency because we, we looked at it last year. In other words, how often does something happen? But uh, this is spatial frequency, as in, when we talk about spatial, we mean on the screen, right? in space. It's a picture. If you look at pixels that are all the same colour like that, and you want to know is, what is its frequency? Is it a high frequency, a low frequency, medium frequency, or what? If you were to look at that and you were to map out, I'm going to draw a graph here where we show the change in intensity of the pixels. Right, that one's grey. So that's that, that grey level, whatever level that might be, might be 150, right? That's the same, that's the same, that's the same. That's the frequency. The frequency is zero. It's not changing. There is no frequency. Electrically, that would be considered to be DC. That's what DC looks like. It's not alternating at all. It's just completely the same. No frequency, it's got zero, a frequency of zero. Go on this one then. This one is going from black, so there's black at zero, to white, which is full brightness, to black, to white. So that 
is the maximum frequency. You, couldn't, you can't actually get a higher frequency than that because every single pixel is changing from one extreme to the other. So that's the maximum frequency. So oh, this is one dimensional signal representation. Well, that's, that's the maximum frequency you can get at that resolution. Every single pixel is changing from one extreme to the other. This, we're going to map out the frequency of this, or the, the waveform indicated by the change in blindness levels, black. <laughs> wow, that's quite a good sound effect, that, isn't it? It goes up a bit, because it's a bit greyer. It goes up a bit, because it's a bit greyer, up a bit, because it's a bit greyer. Then down, then goes black. So it's going to be periodic. It will be periodic about that. So using that frequency of that is a quarter of the frequency of that. The periodicity of it is over four pixels. Because look at that at the frequency in that way. So that's what I mean by frequency. How quickly or how um, extreme is the change in brightness over the distance of the picture? So you can't, so there's, that's the one extreme, there's no change of brightness across the, the picture, or across that piece of picture. Here, that's the maximum frequency, very high frequency content there. What that maps into in real, in real money is low frequency content means flat space, like sky, not much changing in it. Um, else like um, I was going to say that wall, that wall's got a texture finish to it but if that was a smooth wall there would be a very low frequency because there's no change as you can go along the pixels there would be no, almost no change whereas if you look at something like um, grass even though grass is all green if you get close up to it there's lots of little strands sticking up isn't it so it's going green then there's an edge, when the when blade of grass finishes, there'll be something behind it which may be darker or lighter, so there'll be a step in the intensity. Then there's another step as it comes up to the next blade of grass. There's loads of blades of grass, it's stepping a lot. So there's a, a lot of high frequency content for that. So, what it says here, adjacent pixels which change little or slowly in value have a low spatial frequency. If they change greatly, then they've got a high spatial frequency. You can, you can have high spatial frequency and low spatial frequency in the same picture. Because you might have a, a scene of the sky, blue sky with no clouds in it, and a field with grass in it underneath, or a bush with lots of branches sticking out. Low spatial frequency in the sky, high spatial frequency for the grass and the bush. The smooth picture of the bird's got less detail. The edges been reduced so the sharpness of the image has been blurred a bit smoothed it out so that means that the sharpness has been reduced the spatial frequency has been reduced so it's been filtered such that the high frequencies have been attenuated high frequency components in other words the sharp edges the sharp detail have been reduced and so the high frequency components has been reduced by that filter Therefore, that filter must be a low-pass filter because a low-pass filter will allow low frequencies through, it will allow high frequencies through. This is where, in fact, I was complaining about this at another meeting the other day, having to wind the board up to write something down, then pull the board back down again to write something else. Completely covered by the screen. Marvellous. the MBS stuff was explained to students earlier today, every night. It looked like there was going to be mass suicide. <laughs> Any questions yet? Can we have longer to do it? What do you mean? I've not even told you what you're doing yet. Well, we need longer, whatever it is, I can tell. One person looked at the assignments and went and immediately got a, a module transfer form. <laughs> I never even had a chance to explain it, I just put it on the internet. Kevin, oh, what's she gone? 
Oh gosh, I'm going to measure after we've got the walking sign, there's a long one off now. <laughs> Quick. contains almost no very low frequencies. It contains a big chunk of low to medium level frequencies. No frequencies that band, a very high peak of frequencies there, high frequencies. So lots of high frequencies, nothing in that band. So what a, a low pass filter will do, I'll get onto this in a minute. I'll probably do it in the next, next class, but just a, just a quick overview. A low pass filter will allow low frequencies through because it's low pass, the low frequencies pass through. It's going to look like that. So what it means is if we've got um, something, a picture, or as you'll find a sound, look like this, uh, which has got frequencies um, like this. In other words, it's got quite a reasonably distributed range of frequencies. It's a sound, there's some bass, some singing, some cymbals, there's high frequencies. You know, you've got the full, full cavoodle there. If you were to subject it to a filter of that characteristic, you will be removing the high frequencies like that. They've been attenuated, because you're multiplying those frequencies by that. Multiplying it effectively all of it by one, but this stuff which is multiplying by all so disappears. And you get the woolly sound then, you get the woolly MP3 type sound, because MP3, one of the things it does is throw away the high frequencies, that's one way it gets everything down, so that's why if you listen to a CD, it's an MP3, they are not so different. Um, having said that, this is rabbit guff stuff, it's probably very, frequencies are probably all concentrated down here somewhere. <laughs> if um, you've got a a high pass filter, and obviously that's the opposite way around. That would look more like that. So frequencies higher than that point will not be attenuated. Frequencies below that point will be, will be attenuated down. And you can have a band pass filter, which will attenuate frequencies at two extremes, but allow the ones in the middle to go through. So that's what's happening with that, uh, that chicken thing. We've got some <coughs> high frequencies because the feathers, you know, the edges of the feathers are high frequencies. We've passed that averaging mask over it, they've been smoothed out. What we've done is we've attenuated some of the high frequencies. That's what we've done as far as filter in terms is concerned. by three mask is typical, any odd numbered size can be used, it's been odd numbered size, you need the middle to it, that's where the pixel's going to be, and you've got ones on the outside. Look at this, uh, this picture again, there's the original, quite sharp, you can see there's quite pronounced black bit on its feathers, that is more blurred. It's not quite the same, it's not quite the same definition. That's used a 3x3 three three mask, averaging mask. So only taking into account the adjacent pixels. <coughs> this one uses a 5x5 five five mask, so it's taking the current pixel plus two rows around the, around the outside. Not significantly more blurred than that one. It's not super blurred, but you can see that the grass, the difference in grass, quite different. 
And the 7x7 one, that's actually getting quite blurred now. It's nice starting to sort of blend into its head.
you're going to lose a row, you're going to lose a column on the corner. Can you see that? Because we're starting at one across and one down on that pixel. And also when you get to the bottom end here, you're going to lose one there and there. So you either, you either accept the fact you're going to lose a line and a column all the way around the picture, or what some people do is they'll lose two lines around the bottom edge instead of two lines around the top edge. It doesn't make any difference, you're going to lose, you're going to lose two lines. If you want the picture to be original size, then there's lots of different ways of going about it. You either stretch the picture back up to what it was before, which, which can involve corruption of the picture because you've got to going to change all the pixels and all the picture again to make it that bit bigger. Some people will just uh, copy the outer two lines, the most outer two lines to the outer two lines, so it's a copy. Which you can get away with it with a photograph, and it's a lot of it's a, it's a very high resolution picture. But if it's, if it's a low resolution picture, you'll see the duplication around the edges. So there are different ways of doing that. Um, I don't even bother with that image processing the handle for you. It just it just bins off the outside edge. If you apply the filter again, it'll get sharper again. If you apply it again, it gets sharper again. But obviously, every time you apply that filter, you're going to lose two more light, two more rows, two more columns every time. Image subtraction is another image processing technique which is very useful. You might not think it's very useful. Are you alright with that filter thing? Yeah. I use minus ones in the high frequency mask, I use um, fractions in the low frequency mask. But there are other masks, you can put other sets of numbers in, it does other stuff. Lots of different uh, sets of numbers. Uh, I'll, I'll do another one in a minute. Uh, image subtraction then. You can use this in um, automatic defect checking. What happens is things that have been assembled will pass in front of the camera, it takes a picture of it, it can subtract that image from a reference image of a, of a known correct product, and you can see the difference between the two. Another thing we can do with subtraction is if you do a low pass filter on an image, so now it's a bit, bit blurred being subtracted from the original image, you get a, quite an um, a intense high frequency filter effect because it's the opposite of what you've just done. You've got a low pass filter on it, you subtract it originally, you end up with a high pass version. I'll show you them uh, now. You might recognise that from a previous live. And what I've got is a photo of that board complete. I took a photo of that board with a component missing. On visual inspection it's very difficult to see which component it is. But if, you, if you take the two images away from each other but through subtraction you can see it's there. There's actually a resistor there and there. There's a metal link on that one. There's no metal link on that one. And that, and that, well, that over there, you see the metal link that's missing from there so it can be identified very quickly, automatically. Here's some more of my Safari Park outing. Make things useful. Some uh, tigers asleep. You think they have muck doing stuff, wouldn't you, when you paid to go in, but they're just led there asleep doing nothing. My kids were trying to sort of throw things at them, <laughs> trying to wake them up. But That, if you just do a, a, a slight low pass filter on that, there, which doesn't, from where you're sat, it probably doesn't look any different. But that's been low pass filters slightly. It's hard to tell the difference, but it has. In fact, this is a low pass version here. That's the original, that's the low pass version. But you can see the stripes on the tiger there. They're more blurred on this one. So it's just a, it's like a three by three mask passed over it with the average in it. Then subtract the two, and you end up with that. It doesn't look like it's got much in it, but if you look at the histogram of that, you'll find that all that's happened is it's got a very narrow uh, density, pixel distribution density. Um, so if you stretch it out with contrast, contrast stretching, you get that. Now that, well, I think you can certainly say that that is a, is a severe high frequency filter because it filtered out everything, even all the tigers and everything have gone. 
because they're not very high frequency. But these, this link on the fence is high frequency because it goes from a light colour to a very dark colour and from a dark colour to a very light colour. So it's picked up these changes. Even to the point, even a short distance like that where it's black, that's a low frequency, that black is not changing over that short period. It's even taking that out. So that's by low pass filtering, then subtracting from the original diameter contrast um, stretch it back so out. That's absolutely the outline then, isn't it? Not so much the, the object itself, it's the outline of the object. It is the outline, so it's kept only the very high frequency parts, which are the bits that are actually changing the fastest in the image. And you would normally call that um, edge enhancement rather than high-frequency high enhancement. High-frequency enhancement would, would normally bring out the sharpness of the, of the edges, but wouldn't get rid of them. But this one has such a, had such a filtering effect on it, it's only kept the very high frequencies. When you're filtering, such, you only keep the very high frequencies. They are the, just the transients, literally. Or if you're going from something dark to something light, or from light to something dark, they keep just those transients. We normally consider it to be um, the outline or edge enhancement. An edge enhancement can be quite useful. Here are some more edge enhancements or, or edge detection masks. Instead of doing the, the low frequency mask and then do a subtraction, you can actually just use the convolution masks. You can take these. Uh, Tigers again. It uses Puet filters because some geezer called Puet probably put these numbers in and found it worked. So that's his name and all that. Put minus ones along the top, zeros along there, and ones along there. It pulls out the edges in the horizontal. The vertical edges have gone. You can only see the horizontal parts of the fence at the line there. The vertical ones have gone. Here's the opposite, the mask has been turned around, like that. Here, you can see the vertical links. But look at that, that horizontal one gone completely. This one, that piece of wire there, isn't there. If you wanted to do um, both directions at the same time, you can use the Laplacian filter. I've used a larger filter here to try and um, increase the effectiveness of it. You can see it's took a one, two, three, four, five by five mask to produce a similar effect to what the three by three mask did before with the subtraction. It's not a lot different, I suppose. Very similar, isn't it? Same, really. So two ways of doing the edge enhancement. Oh, right. So what I'll do is, in the lab, I'll spend 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, oh, in fact, there's nobody here now, is there? I'll do it now then. Make another brew or something before I have a walk or wander over there. Um, I'll look at some uh, pictures. Using the, the code that you've already got. Build it on here. So I'll show you the lab. I've compiled it 